Remember Sting? Yeah. Remember the four horsemen? Hey, Nandy. Remember that? Remember Remember Steve Blackman? Oh, I remember. Oh, I love Steve Blackman. Remember King of the Ring? I love to remember King of the Ring. Remember when Roman Reigns won everything? Oh, I remember. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember when they would just put the belt on Hogan? I remember. Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I remember that. Wait. Remember brass rings? Remember PG? Remember Roman? Oh, I remember. <laughs> what the f is going on with these member berries? Hello everyone, welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. We're still alive! Back again with episode number five. I'm your host, the man with no moniker, Duncan Joyce. I'm joined as ever by the hardest working Triple H Mark in show business, Mr. Kyle Cambray. Hello, uh, nice to see you. It's very good to see you, yeah, it's been a long time. It has been a, a very long time. We do still have a lot to get through though, so I thought what we could do was go over our favourite thing to happen in wrestling since we've been away and our favourite thing just to happen to ourselves. Alright, okay. Probably best thing in wrestling so far since we've been away is, again, Triple H Mark, um, <laughs> is seeing Kevin Owens get the, the championship. Yes. I mean, that was unexpected. When Seth Rollins was ready with the pedigree, I kind of thought, right, Rollins is getting the, the title again. But I like it. it. It's a good shot into the dark, really. Because mm. as much as people want Kevin Owens to be a champion, we don't actually know what Kevin Owens is going to be like as champion. The pairing with Chris Jericho is just brilliant. People let me tell you about my best friend. It's, it, it is pure gold. And I think they've, they've got something there that, that is working. You know, Jericho and his list. It is, it's really working. I wonder when they're going to pull the trigger on that. Because blatantly they're going for a Jericho-Owens split down yeah. the line. My understanding is Jericho's only here until the end of the year, so I wonder if maybe it's a t- they're going to have a TLC thing or something. Yeah. And they'll keep it going. And then is it a case of it's just going to be a match between the two, or is Jericho going to cost Owens? Or you know, so th- there's plenty of stuff that they can play with. As for now, I'm I'm happy with the two of them together. And then something good's happened to myself. I'm getting paid as a teacher now, Three. which is good. I'm doing that now, I'm a drama teacher. Woohoo! Nice. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's that. Just with myself, I actually got my PhD thesis submitted the other week. <laughs> that was quite a slog. That was quite a relief to have that out of the way. Doctor, doctor, doctor. There's not enough wrestling <laughs> doctors anymore. <laughs> Xavier Woods is studying for a PhD, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah. 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 I wonder how long he's got left of it, because he must be doing it part-time. So that's like seven years work. He's got that up, up, down, down that he does as well. So, mm, yeah. You know, he's got a hell of a lot of things on the go. Zack Ryder says, damn it, if only I'd have waited. <laughs> they want YouTube shows for people now. God damn it. And then in wrestling, I was trying to think if it's been two or three progress shows that I've seen since we've recorded last. But yeah, I've been going to progress and it's been phenomenal really. So there was one show we did back in August that had a War Machine versus London Riots match. Yeah. Sensational, one of the best matches I've ever seen. And then I was there just last week, I think it was, 
chapter 37. I actually got picked out by Jim Smallman, VMC, one of the co-owners. He, he said I look like the happiest man alive. Yeah, I'm, the progress stuff, it does seem like it's it's really getting some steam. I mean, I've not been to any of the shows, but from what I've seen and what I've read, you know, fantastic stuff. It's on the cursed Sundays, isn't it? Yeah, the working Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we was all caught up. We thought, okay, since we got started with this podcast, we just sort of went headfirst into current wrestling just to you know, get used to the process of, you know, trying to get a routine going for how we make the podcast and things. But we've always wanted to go back in time a little bit and we thought as a little bit of for getting to know your exercise we should maybe go back and look at when we first started watching wrestling the next pair of shows we've got coming up including this one we're going to go back and look at the first pay-per-view to happen after we started watching wrestling mine i'll save for the next episode (laughs) but kyle you started watching back in april 98 am i right yeah so what, what got you watching wrestling? My older cousins were watching wrestling and they got me into it. At the time, it was the whole Austin, Michaels, Tyson build-up. And that that's kind of got me into it. You know, I watched maybe half an hour here, half an hour there. And I wasn't massively in, into wrestling as such. I was able to watch the main event of WrestleMania and watch the whole Austin Michaels thing. And I was kind of like, you know what, actually, I, I kind of get this. And then the following Monday, obviously for Raw, is when I first watched it. And I don't know whether this kind of inserts into my love for Triple H, but it's the it's the episode where it, it's, you know, obviously becomes DX 2.0. Yes. Um, and he kind of takes over from Sean because Sean sadly had to take some time off. So I don't know whether my... My kind of love from Triple H stemmed from it being the first ever episode and this guy comes on and he's kind of like, screw everybody, this is me, this is my show. But yeah, so it, it was around around Wrestle, just the end of WrestleMania where I, I started watching. So could you really still appreciate that promo, Ben? Because there was obviously a lot of sort of inside talk from X-Pac about Eric Bischoff and things. Obviously, at the time, I wasn't aware of WCW you know, quite a lot of my friends used to watch WCW. I was never a, a huge fan of WCW. I do appreciate it much more now I've got the network mm. and I can go over and, and, you know, and watch it now. Yeah, I think when X-Pac came back, yeah, I didn't really appreciate the little digs that he, he did say. But now I kind of find, I think, good on you. It was a hell of a promo. So it was very much DX were sort of central to your interest in wrestling back then. Yeah, and then it was kind of because they were known as DX2. That's what made me want to go back, and that's when I got the VHSs of the original DX and oh, you know what they were up to, and yeah. the whole Sergeant Slaughter with the the face mask, so he <laughs> didn't, you know they didn't spit on them and things like that. So I kind of then got the whole Triple H history before I then carried on forward. Was there anybody else around this time that really caught your eye early on? The Rock, because again the the Nation was something that hadn't been seen before, and it was totally playing on like stereotypes when he came in there was a lot of talk of obviously he was the son of a famous wrestler and then there was a lot of talk with Austin and again because I'd seen Austin and Michaels as kind of my if you will it was my first match that yeah. I, I watched so yeah they, they were the other guys that I was kind of looking out for and I'd always been told even before me watching wrestling 
oh Steve Austin's this, Steve Austin's that. He's you know he's a cool guy, he's a cool guy. And for me, not watching wrestling, whatever. If someone says that this guy's cool, you you kind of okay, yeah, he must be cool. You watch it, sort of thing. So for me, Austin was already somebody who I liked, even though I didn't watch wrestling because everybody liked Austin, and it was kind of like he was the guy. But yeah, I think they were the three. It was really interesting that I wasn't interested in Taker and all that sort of stuff. Kind of when I first watched it, I didn't really get the whole why is he magical sort of thing. I understood the wrestling aspect of it and I understood the trash talk and, you know, all this. But it was kind of like, right, well, this is definitely fake. This Undertaker character of, right, you can shut the lights off and he can shoot lightning and what? But the more I watched it, the more I was like, actually, do you know what? This is, I get this. But yeah, I kind of build up on the characters. Yeah, it's a very sort of transitional phase, really, where you have still some sort of hokey new generation yeah. stuff is sort of lingering around a little bit. and Yeah. Even around really credible characters like The Undertaker, well, credible performers anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's more sort of the, the characters that drove you in rather than how they performed in the ring. Yeah, because there's kind of a few matches that people don't enjoy but I like it from the character aspect and I think again that just stems back from because of the actor in me I kind of am more interested in the characters than I am the wrestling but I still enjoy the wrestling Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so it's it's, for me I enjoy it backwards whereas some fans wrestling comes first characters second for me it's the opposite way around for me I've got to like the character before I enjoy the wrestling I know there's a lot of people that struggle with, say, Japanese wrestling because, you know, the language barrier, they can't fully get behind the characters. Yeah. So, you know, they're losing a little bit of what's going on. So having said that, I mean, wrestling, to my eyes, feels a lot more in-ring based for me now. So do you think, if you hadn't heard of wrestling before this point in time, say, would you still maybe be interested in it? Do you think you'd still find it at some point? Probably not. And I think the reason for that is that at a young age, seeing kind of the revolt on TV and the kind of, I'll play by no rules, I think that's also what what got me into this. And I think that today, because of how PG it is, I mean, you know, we've obviously watched it from the Attitude Era to now, so we can kind of appreciate why the change. As much as we don't like the change, it's kind of like we know... It's a wider audience, money, etc., etc., etc. But I think if I was kind of out of the loop and someone staring in, I probably wouldn't want to get involved. That's just from my point of view now. If I was in the situation, then it might be different. But from how I personally feel, it is very much wrestling-based now, which, again, is not a bad thing because people like to watch it as a a wrestling show, not as a, a soap but yeah, I don't think I don't think I would be as interested, and which is why I'm I'm happy that I got into it when I did, because now I can appreciate. I kind of feel that way as well, because like I I first came across wrestling through video games, and uh, I'd see it in like all the gaming mags and stuff. I'm like, oh my god, it's like Mortal Kombat come to life. Yeah, in the internet. April puts us around about the time of WWF Unforgiven in your house. Ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> The first show after Austin has been crowned the WWF champion. We'll go through 
things with certain feuds individually as we get through the matches on this show. But is there anything else you'd like to add maybe about the general direction of the company for people who haven't really paid much attention to it at this point in time? At the end of WrestleMania, WWF was still sort of child-friendly at this stage. DX was the kind of the only thing that was upsetting the apple cart. Everything else was very much played to the audience. We've got the audience, we know what we're doing. And so after WrestleMania, there was a very big transition into what everybody is aware of being the Attitude Era. And it was very dark, very real, much more storyline-based and uh, very much based on characters building this relationship with the audience. And so they decided to change the graphics from like a cartoon logo, wasn't it? It was like a firm gold thing. Yeah. Really. yeah. And it, it's now this scratch card WWF graffiti. And I think that the direction that it was going in is, you know, we want this to be very adult. And I think also that they had to change it because they, this is around the time that WCW was very much the in thing and it was very much... Bischoff was king sort of thing Vince knew he had to change something we all know that it was the right thing to do so that's kind of where we're at before mm. the pay-per-view starts yeah back to yeah. what you're saying about WCW so like December 97 they had Starcade their biggest pay-per-view ever probably and Brett had just turned up so I think the Scratch logo first turned up it was more sort of just like it looked like a one-off ad campaign or something and yeah. Even Brett was in some of the shoots and stuff. So it's just like some of the guys back then talking through their injuries and stuff and oh, what makes them who they are. And then that sort of crept into the general look of the company. And as you say, it was mainly DX. Lots of DX's stuff nearly got them thrown off the USA network for Raw. But obviously Stone Cold Steve Austin was a, very much at the forefront. And a little bit with Sable as well, even. Yeah, with the her... You know, the stuff that she wore to the ring and the way that she, she entered the ring and she interacted with the crowd, kind of. It was soft porn, if you will. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, again, that it kind of steered it towards adult viewing. But yeah, it, you know, it, it's what a, what a place to start. If you were going to get into wrestling, you get into wrestling in the Attitude Era. What a time to watch wrestling. Mm, yeah, lots and lots of stuff going on from both sides, quite frankly. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see how they fared kicking things off here. April the 26th, 1998, from the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. An attendance of 21,427 people. A Greensboro Coliseum record, I believe it is. Yeah. And they didn't even sell the Coliseum out. So still tickets. There were still tickets. Wow. In addition, there were 309,000 fans watching at home. On pay-per-view, our opening VT is all hype for the Inferno match coming up tonight. I thought this was slightly odd in that you've just crowned Austin your champion and another major feud is getting the focus opening this show. It's kind of the end of a story, isn't it, for for Austin? I think that's the, the road that they were playing because at the time, the whole Austin-Vince kind of storyline was only just starting to snowball. Because the beginning of it was, you know, the whole dude love storyline. So I think that's maybe why the Kane the Undertaker storyline took forefront because they felt Austin and Sean was 
the bookend. I don't know. Maybe that's that was the reason. Mm, yeah, I suppose. It doesn't stop this package being awesome, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's classy Freddie Blassie quoting Dante's Inferno to us in between talks of Kane's blood-red fury and Taker's ice-blue vengeance. <laughs> One of the quotes they ended on here. There is no exit from the flame. You are simply transformed into the language of the fire. I thought, for me, that was quite a good... Allegory for Kane's character, actually. Yeah, yeah, it could have uh, flipped reverse that. Yeah. yeah, consumed by fire. And you sounded like Captain Black then. Captain Black! <laughs> <laughs> this is the yeah. voice of the Mr. <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> way, way back. <laughs> 10321 presents WWF Unforgiven in your house with Master Rider theme music in the background. <laughs> Ready at a moment's notice to call on his powers to become Master Rider. at this point that they cite that Mr. McMahon is promising something catastrophic will occur. On commentary, of course, are Jerry Viking Lawler and Jim Ross. Would you say this is the best pairing in wrestling? 100% the best pairing. This is the pairing that defined wrestling commentary for me. I guess some people would say like Monsoon and Bobby Heenan or something as well. If you, yeah, if you're going way back then that would be that. Then Attitude Era... Well, this is this is an on-the-spot question then. For younger viewers, who is the commentary team? Well, obviously Michael Cole will be there because he's ever-present, is it? Everywhere. But then, is it Michael Cole and Jim Ross? <laughs> we found on Friday night, Michael! <laughs> Although Heyman was good on SmackDown. Oh, yes. So, but yeah, I, I do think that Jerry Lawler and JR are the ultimate. Our opening main event of the evening is a six-man tag team match with a 30-minute time limit, apparently. They've dropped that now, haven't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they only bring it up in certain matches yeah. on this show, anyway. Yeah. It's the Nation of Domination, accompanied by Karma Mustafa, and represented by the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, D'Lo Brown, and the ruler of the nation, the intercontinental champion, The Rock, Rocky Maivia. They'll be taking on the combination of Farouk, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, and the lethal weapon, Steve Blackman. What's going on with Farouk here, Kyle? He used to be in the nation, right? Yeah, so what sort of happened was Farouk decided to leave The Rock on his own, and The Rock got beat up, essentially. The Rock then returned the favour and beat Farouk up and had the nation kick him out. And Farouk kind of went on his own and turned face. Now, at the time, it's interesting because 
being a younger viewer, the, the whole face heel thing kind of didn't resonate at the time. Mm. So to see Farouk not be with his brothers, if you will, was a bit strange to see and that they, they kicked him out of the, the nation. But yeah, essentially, this is what happened. So kind of Farouk instigated this. Maybe he was jealous that The Rock was kind of sneaking up, which is essentially the storyline they were playing, that The Rock was this blue chipper who was going to take Farouk's place. And yeah, that's that's where the split. Yeah, I think if you look back at a load of the nation's group interviews, mm. Rocky's kind of like mugging in a little bit, trying to get more of the attention. So. Yeah. But yeah, he's mostly been feuding with Ken Shamrock up to this point. They had an IC title match at WrestleMania, ended in controversy. Mm-hmm. Steve Blackman, any idea what he's doing here? I don't remember this. He's only just come into WWF at this stage. Yeah. He'd only been in a few months or I weeks. Know, Survivor Series 97 he came in yeah. or something. And he didn't really have any storylines. He was kind of just placed in these matches. And I think this is another one of them. Right, we need somebody in this match so Steve you can you mm. can kind of go there later on in the show there's another bit where it's kind of like why what is Steve doing I don't think they had a place for Blackman you know his talent was there but they just didn't have a place for him essentially yeah well we'll see what he gets up to the arena is just filled with huge Rocky Stokes chance at the start of this match yeah. he is so over the other thing I liked about this was hearing Ken Shamrock's theme. The baby faces actually mimic the Nation of Domination salute. Which is really random. Watching it back again, I was kind of thinking, but why did they do that? Yeah. Is it maybe is Farouk trying to make a point that he's got you know, people with him now again? Or Yeah, but surely you wouldn't do the Nation salute because Ken and random Steve is like, you know, <laughs> it just didn't make sense. Mm. So, in the early goings, D'Lo does his shaky head thing right away. I loved it. And King puts him over big time as a big underrated talent. Similarly, JR puts over Steve Blackman for his quickness and balance as he hits people with ninja kicks. (laughs) Shamrock had a cool looking rolling leg lock thing that just got a bit too close to the ropes early on. Lawler takes exception uh, to JR calling him the king of the octagon. Did you see the dodgy bit where I think it was Shamrock was looking to tag out? He wanted to tag out Blackman. No, he wanted to tag it out. It was Farouk, Farouk yeah. yeah. But and Blackman was, took the tag. Yeah. I don't know whether that was planned because it did. It looked awkward. Is it that same setting or was it a little bit later that then Farouk starts shaking his head because he doesn't want anything? Because that was awkward oh, as well. Right. Oh. The, yeah, there's a part in the match where they go over to the corner and they go to do this, this sort of tag thing and Farouk kind of just shakes his head as if to say I'm not tagging in and I, mm. I was thinking this is a bit strange and the kind of pause for like 30 seconds and then carry on I was like hmm yeah, there are some clunky bits in yeah. this match I mean JR did put over on commentary this is the first time they're teaming together and the nation should have the advantage yeah. being a group for so long so maybe it was deliberate I don't know we get a cool-looking spinebuster by Farouk blocking D'Lo's leapfrog. And then he whips him with his belt, like a government mule! <laughs> and he gets a massive reaction. Mentioning the awkwardness again. There's lots of spells where Mark Henry and Steve Blackman are in this match, and it gets a bit sloppy. D'Lo comes back in and hits a sky high at one point, 
and JR calls it oh, it's a nice modified power bomb. Anything where someone gets slammed down and the person giving the move sits down with them, JR's just got oh modified power bomb there. <laughs> Rock would only tag in the match when Farouk was down and at a disadvantage. Yeah. Which is interesting. The nation just basically run this match by using some pretty rudimentary brawling. And then out of nowhere, Rocky's in, and he hits the people's elbow. Yeah. He doesn't even go for cover! He goes to hook a chin lock or something right afterwards. I don't know whether at the time is the people's elbow powerful enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, is it... Because it's it's not the people's elbow yet, is it? It's, no, not it's quite. It's the no. rock's elbow. Before he hits the elbow, he still gives a bit of a, a screw you to the guy before he hits the elbow. Classic heel rock. It's just so odd seeing that though, because he pinned people, he like literally beat them with that move like yeah. down, down the line. The crowd they start to flatline a bit near the tail end of this match. Yeah. Anyway, D'Lo misses a moonsault, which allows Steve Blackman to tag in Farouk, and he runs wild. Everything breaks down. Rock DDTs him for a near fall, but then he comes back immediately with the Dominator. We actually saw a Dominator. Yeah. And he gets the free. And the babyfaces win in 13 minutes, 32 seconds. Interesting to me, there's an immediate post-match interview at ringside with Michael Cole. Well, uh, Smackdown have started to bring that in, haven't they? Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know whether it's the new format that Smackdown want to do, but Smackdown quite often kind of get the, the wrestlers after the match. Right. And Raw have done it a few times, but only to pump up Strowman. Well, yeah, I was going to say, Raw do it kind of the other way around. Yeah. You talk to someone before their match. But yeah, SmackDown have done it a few times. Recently with Ziggler and, and the whole Miz rivalry. So hey, Farouk thanks his partners and promises to kick his ass and the rest of them too. I presume he means the nation, not his partners. Yeah. What did you make of this match, Kyle? <laughs> it, like you said before, it, it was very clunky. And there, there were bits that were very awkward. It did come across as very tactical with the way that the nation came across with mm. Rock coming in every time Farouk was down, which was a nice story. But yeah, it was okay. I mean, you know, at the time when I first watched this, it was kind of like, this is my new thing to watch. Mm. So it could have been the shittest match ever and I would have enjoyed it because it was the new thing. And when it's a new thing to watch, you, mm. you enjoy it, don't you? So. I totally get that. This was still pretty solid for me quite hot at the start they kind of lost their way in the second half which you could tell from the crowd reactions I thought I was just disappointed Shamrock was in this match so little and his theme played at the end when the team won it was Shamrock's theme that played yeah I assume because Farouk doesn't have his own theme yet we then get Stone Cold Steve Austin in street clothes come out to the crowd the announcers seem surprised by this and he cajoles the timekeeper Mark Yaten into the ring there's one point where he's like holding him by the collar. You could tell the fans expect a stunner. Yeah. The, like that exact way he holds someone. It's like, oh, oh, oh it's going to be a stunner. He's trying to get Yaten to admit that Vince told him to ring the bell last week or something. Yeah, so Dude Love won the match, but he shouldn't have done because the bell, a, a bit like the screw job. Right. So the bell rang. So Austin obviously wanted answers from the bell, the bell guy. Okay. And with that, he promises to beat both Vince and the timekeeper up and down every single aisle in the arena if he gets screwed tonight. And that's the bottom line. 
Did you notice there was a huge cut from Farouk's interview and then it cut straight into Austin coming yes. out? So essentially, it wasn't live because it, they obviously must have been 10 minutes ahead because there's a huge cut of they're still in the, the ring and then all of a sudden Austin's like stepping into the ring. Yes, I noticed it. Yeah, thank you for bringing this up, Carl, because you were watching this on the WWE Network. Yeah. Right? I actually found what must be a rip of the original VHS version. I think it's a North American version as well because it still mentions a sponsor sometimes as well. Right. So my guess is there was just some advert in between here and they cut it a bit too abruptly. Yeah. Usually on like a, VH, a VHS or DVD release, it fade to black or something. Yeah. But yeah, that did feel odd. Anyway, we then see a shark cage lowering from the roof and we're told that China is going to be locked inside of this as we get clips from the European title match at WrestleMania where she was still able to interfere and cost Owen Hart the championship even though she was handcuffed to Commissioner Slaughter. She's been put over quite big as a sort of key factor in DX as a difference maker on the outside. Yeah, when it was just Sean and Triple H, she was like the, the bodyguard. And then she became Triple H's full-time bodyguard when, when Sean left. She was great, China. I, I enjoyed seeing China in DX. I think she fell flat when DX broke up. She kind of had a high again with Eddie, but it wasn't the popularity that you know she had at this time. But yeah, she she was fully over. That leads into our second main event of the evening. For the European Championship, with a one-hour time limit. Can you imagine a one-hour time limit draw <laughs> this match? Uh, the champion, Triple H, is defending against the challenger, the Black Heart, the sole survivor! He did it by himself! Woo! Owen Hart. How did Owen get involved in this feud with DX then, Kyle? Skipping back past Wrestlemania past Royal Rumble at Christmas DX were in full force of you know taking the mick out of the company and they were in full force of just having a laugh and didn't care in the world Sean was the European champion and as a Christmas present he gave the championship to Triple H Mm. and they had a match and Sean just laid down and let Triple H pin him and that's how Triple H is the European champion Yeah, and you know obviously Owen's character being the only heart left in the company and being the, the lone heart didn't take too kindly to, to that. But I, I think that this is... It's very much a crossroads, this match, because I feel like this is the beginning of the end for Owen. I know it was horrible circumstances to, you know, Owen obviously not being able to wrestle anymore. But I, I do feel that if there wasn't that accident, I don't think he'd have lasted any longer. Maybe going to WCW or going somewhere else. Mm, I don't think he would have necessarily been all that interested in, in carrying on. You know, he was really talking about winding down as well. And, yeah. you know, um, he really saved his money quite well because he wanted time with his family at the end of his yeah. career. Because you, you just felt going forward from this pay-per-view that his storylines kind of faded a little bit whereas on the other hand this I think this is was the beginning of Triple H's singles success and yeah. obviously DX you know helped propel him but yeah I think this match is very much a crossroads between the two Triple H he's already been the Intercontinental Champion and he'd already been the King of the Ring 
But now, where he's this figurehead, he's this head of a stable, feels like there's a bit more invested in him. This is going to turn into another Triple H love fest, isn't it? You can make it nice and short if you want, it's fine. (laughs) I don't know. Is there anything more to add from what we had in the intro? Yeah, I think at the time, I didn't realise how much Triple H had an influence backstage. So that's another thing to really just add before the the match because Mm. you mentioned before about him being a King of the Ring winner. He was supposed to win it earlier, but the whole click hug happened, didn't it? Yeah. Also, with the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels screw job, the way that that ended was actually Triple H's idea. Oh, yeah, he just F him. Yeah, Mm. which is... Back then, to think of Triple H, he wasn't even a main guy. No. To think of the influences that he had backstage. I mean, now, watching interviews with Triple H, he's very honest and very open. And, you know, he says, you know, I did this, I did that. Mm. Which is cool to listen to. But, yeah, just to just to think that he's still a guy up and coming, yet he's got all this influence, if you will. Which, you know, can only help him going forward. Yeah. DX's entrance here... Loads and loads of jump cuts to like the Titantron. I find that a bit disorientating. Like, oh, hang on, it's now, it's <laughs> then. <laughs> Slow down, please. There's a prophetic sign here in the crowd Playboy needs China. If only they knew. Yeah, if only. Owen and Triple H are arguing on the apron that Owen's great here. He's like, she's going in that cage. That European belt means too much to me. I know, and he, he actually goes into the cage to check it out first. Yes, yeah, Which yeah, is quite cool. Yeah, yeah. And he kicks he kicks um, the cage to make sure it's stable enough. <laughs> it makes storyline sense that Owen's interested in the European title in particular because that was Davy Boy's belt, isn't yeah. China is not only locked in this cage, she's chained in this cage by Commissioner Slaughter. King says here, if she wants to, she could probably break that chain. Spoilers, Jerry. <laughs> Owen Pearl Harbour's Triple H at the start of the match on the outside. Cues your typical brawling in the rampway attitude era stuff. He punches a drink in Triple H's face. He knocks him into the cage before they can raise it and suplexes him on the floor. Do you miss that sort of brawling in the ramp style? That yeah. got quite prevalent near the end of the era, didn't it? Yeah, it was good. I just think towards the end of the attitude era, it became too often which kind of deteriorated the atmosphere. But yeah, I think it was it was a good thing because it showed that you, you could kind of go anywhere. And that's obviously where like the hardcore belt comes from and you know, etc etc. But yeah, at the time it was kind of cool to see them outside of the ring because wrestling is known for being in the squared circle. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was yeah, I quite liked it. Yeah, I'd share your sentiments about it, maybe. It turned into a bit of a crutch near the end. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is a bit where we go out the ring now. There's an awkward line here as China's getting raised up. JR says, China's ascending to the heavens. No one's probably ever said that before. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's, it's, it's not quite Joey Styles going, suicide died by Mike Awesome, and I hope it's a damn shame he didn't take his life. But still, yeah. They wind up around the other side of the outside of the ring, and Triple H takes a bump really close to Jerry Lawler, and his reaction is like, "Oh, jeez!" <laughs> so surprised by it. 
Hunter gets control of the match with a great hotshot counter to Owen's corner punches, and then we get loads of vintage Jubilee offense. He does a crotch chop just before his knee drop. King's like, know what that means, J.O.? Suck it! J.O. <laughs> just like, all sad pandas, like, not very nice. <laughs> Can you remember finding out what the crotch chop meant? We used to play this game with the girls in the playground where they'd like chase us and we'd have like a safe base yeah. on the stone seat. And I was I'm, like, we rescued someone from their base. I'm like, yeah, suck it. And, yeah. and I think it was Chloe said, you know what that means, don't you? You, you want us to suck your dick? I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because it, it used to be from, from the wall where the court hangers were, you know, the, like the, the little insert. Mm-hmm. It was That was one and we had the stone steps on the other. So we need to paint a picture here. So it's, it's a playground. Yeah. yeah. So the stone steps on one side of the playground and there's a little alcove wall area, cage-like area on the other side. And in teams, we would try and rescue the others. You know, as our winning polls, we would tell the girls to suck it, basically. <laughs> Whoa, we were such a corrupted youth. <laughs> a nice clothesline by Triple H gets two. He controls most of this match using a dragon sleeper, which is pretty unusual offense for Triple H. So he hits it three points in this match. The first time, JR just doesn't address it at all. The second time, he calls it, oh, this manoeuvre. And then the third time, he says, oh, this new manoeuvre here. Like, well, it's not a new move. He's hit you three times already now. Yeah. China's cage swings so much. I'd be proper scared being up there. She's got a nail file hidden in her tights, but she drops it. Just as Owen takes his, you know, the traditional Bret Hart sternum first turnbuckle bump. Yeah. Looks so painful. Aloha, Triple H can't block the sunset flip. You know, he's getting sunset flip and then he waves his hands. <laughs> it doesn't work this time. Oh, we then get some blatant spot calling. In the middle of the second Dragon Sleeper, Triple H tells Owen, Owen, beat me into the corner. Back away. I'll move. And sure enough, Not that happening. plays out. Yeah. Owen counters a reverse suplex with a Jarman to begin a really great comeback sequence, hitting a belly to belly suplex, and then Zugiri, which causes JR to bring up when it injured HBK with that move. Yeah. A pile driver and a top rope elbow. Whilst all this is happening, China has bent the bars of the cage open. Which we knew was coming. Because of Lawler. Yeah. yeah. And she starts climbing out. Now that's scary. You were saying about the cage swinging. Oh, yeah. She's literally hanging from the cage. What, 20 feet? Yeah. Maybe more? Like, how are you meant to get down as well? They, they lower the cage down eventually and we get a shot of the road dog leaving the controls that's brilliant because all it is is they've lowered it down they've said road dog stay there yeah. <laughs> road dog's lowered it down yeah. <laughs> storyline oh, storyline <laughs> so yeah she's finally out the cage and the referees are trying to eject her meanwhile Owen Hart hits the pedigree Ooh. Nice, nice. He, he twirled his stick anti-clockwise on the N64. <laughs> he goes to the cover, but X-Pac interferes and nails him with a fire extinguisher. And just as the ref returns, Triple H covers 
for the free to retain his championship in 12 minutes 26 seconds. It's nice that it was a fire extinguisher given the Inferno match coming up. It's a foreign object that makes sense. Yeah. Another post-match interview from Michael Cole, who tells Owen Hart that DX have his number, and Owen proclaims, Enough is enough! This bullshit has to stop! Did it get censored on your network? No. Didn't! Oh, wow, amazing. I've heard worse language, and yet Michael Cole apologises. Oh, yeah, JR goes, Oh, we apologise for that. That was a disgusting language. Poop mouth, you poopy mouth, you poop out of your mouth. But we've heard worse than that and had no apology. So, it, again, that was another thing that kind of contradicted where they were at. Because mm. DX did it all the time. But, we, you know, there was never an apology. Need I ask what your thoughts are on this match? <laughs> <laughs> the best match. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no. Um, Five star, Dave <laughs> I'll do two, two quick ratings. So, the rating at the time. Yeah. So, I, this is the first time I've, I've watched this match. Again watching DX thinking this is cool they, they're going against everyone and I actually thought that Owen Hart was going to win the match and so it was cool to see X-Pac come in because who knew that you could interfere and who knew you could do that you know the the only thing that I'd seen was Tyson smash Sean in the face so I kind of you know oh that just happens in the ring that you know that mm. was it was Wrestlemania you can do that because it's Wrestlemania yeah. you, know, you, you don't do it at, at the next pay-per-view that's you know doesn't you know isn't as important mm. and then you get people interfering and you've got a cage hanging from the ring so you know for me that it was super cool because it, all these different things were happening that you wouldn't necessarily think would be happening in a normal wrestling match so yeah, so back then it was like super awesome, you know, five out of five, like the first match was, even though the first match was a pile of, you know. <laughs> and then again, looking back from me now, it wasn't as great as what I thought it was. But you know, it, it's still good, you know, they still had some good spots in it. Owen was a fantastic wrestler. You know, him and Triple H worked well together. But yeah, you know, it was it was an okay match for the standard of pay-per-view that it was. Yeah. And they were trying to go in this new direction. Yeah, I did like this match. It very much felt like Owen was wrestling Triple H's type of match rather than the other way around, yeah. which I guess the spot calling kind of gave away as yeah. well. But yeah, Owen was just... I loved him in this match. Mm. Great with his comebacks. Triple H is his you know, usual... Very sound, but not quite spectacular. It's really starting to find his feet as far as how to control the match. Yeah, it's a solid bit of business. We then get another jump cut, and Howard Finkel introduces Mr. NWA, Jim Cornette. And then he introduces the second coming of a great tradition! Every mother's nightmare and every schoolgirl's dream! It's bombastic Bob Holly! And bodacious Bart Gunn, the new Midnight Express, the NWA Tag Team Champions. What the fuck is this? See, watching this back, I had no idea who these guys were. No. What? Who are these? I've never seen these, these before. It's the NWA in the WWF. What on earth is going on? So, Jim Cornette, he'd been appearing on Raw for a few weeks he was kind of hammering on about bringing the old times back and, you know, bringing the NWA back, etc., etc. And he brought with him the Rock and Roller Express. 
and they were the tag champs. Yeah. And they had a feud with the Headbangers. The Headbangers won the titles off Rock and Rollers, and Jim Cornette then said, you're not good enough, I'm not being with you, and created the new Midnight Express with a very, very young Bob Holly with hair. Hair, oh my God. I mean, like... In my notes, I've I've even underlined bombastic bomb. <laughs> I mean, like, what? <laughs> what? And yeah, so I mean, it was a very pointless match that I, at the time wasn't interested, and looking back, was uh, isn't interested. It was just a, a pointless, as we now know, filler match. Yeah. You're putting over. You've got this big youth movement. All of these guys, are, you know deserve their opportunities and weren't getting it elsewhere they're the prominent people in your company and then you've got this stuff to fill out the time in your company yeah uh, so anyway this brings us on to our third main event of the evening for the NWA Tag Team Championships the new Midnight Express defending against the Rock and Roll Express a pairing of Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson who look really really old <laughs> oh my god yeah they look like they just <laughs> strolled out the pub like alright lads I'm doing that wrestling thing again ready for another 30 minutes <laughs> did you cop the music they came out to no it was the rockers music Sean and Marty Gennetti's music really yes oh, I missed that one it's really interesting because the rockers Obviously, they're probably most famous for being in the WWF, but before they were in the WWF, they were in the AWA. Right. And you know what they were called there? They were the Midnight Rockers. So it's kind of playing... Yeah. Yeah, playing off the two top tag teams of the day, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express. So that's why they had all of the tassel things and stuff. They took that from the Rock and Roll Express. Ah. So it feels really strange now that they're coming out to the Rockers music. Yeah. There's lots of music talk early on because JR claims the Rock and Roll Express are more classic rock than current rock and roll, which leads JR to proclaim, ain't nothing wrong with the Eagles. And there isn't, by the way. No, there, 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 there isn't. <laughs> Did you see the amount of empty seats opposite the camera yeah. when this match started? Yeah, I think as soon as people saw Jim Cornette come out, they knew exactly what was happening next and they went, toilet break. It was like a football match, someone scoring the winner and everyone goes, right, that's it, there we go. <laughs> just, yeah, he just emptied the place. It's like Man City going 3-0 down <laughs> in the final game. <laughs> They're one game away from winning the title. Oh, bugger this. Yeah. <laughs> Stick around, mate. <laughs> this match is just a bunch of old-time tag team spots. Some miscommunication sees the Midnight Express knock-noggings. We get a sneaky holding of hands behind the rest back for the abdominal stretch. And Ricky Morton's selling in this is hilarious. It's like, ow, 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 ow. Oh my god. Sound like Frogger. <laughs> it's very sort of robotic. Jim Cornette gets in a fight with a referee. It's, the, it's Jim White, that, isn't it? It's Jim White, the yeah. referee, yeah, yeah. Why does he untuck his shirt to fight? Cornette? Yeah, he goes so scruffy. <laughs> You can surely throw a punch with your shirt tucked down. <laughs> Naturally, Ricky Morton plays for facing peril, as per usual. And Jerry Lawler gets so bored of this match, he wants to talk about the upcoming evening gown match instead. Harcock, so not Harcock, Holly. 
Bob Holly. <laughs> it is hardcore Holly. In a way. I'll tell you what was hardcore. This top rope leg drop he missed. Yeah. Oh my lord, that looked painful. And that allows Robert Gibson to get the hot tag. The Rock and Rollers do a double drop kick, which gets them a phantom pinfall while the ref was distracted. But then Hardcore Holly... I said it again. We'll, we'll just keep it at Hardcore yeah, Holly. <laughs> he bulldogs Robert Gibson off an O'Connor roll, which allows Bart Gunn to sneak the win at 7 minutes 12 seconds to retain the championships. Anything to add about this match? Nothing at all. Yeah. Just, a, I didn't want to watch it. Very, it's a very poor effort. It's a mostly dull, anachronistic match. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Backstage, Michael P.S. Hayes is interviewing Luna and the artist formerly known as Goldust. She talks exactly like a Power Rangers villain. I swear to God, there's like at least half a dozen Power Rangers characters that talk just exactly like her. Rita. Yeah, it's like, Oh, Sable's body is so grotesque. I promise I'll leave her strict like a newborn. Dodgy man. What on earth was going on with Goldust at this stage? I don't think he knows what was going on with himself. <laughs> He's kind of like half Goldust, half I can't be bothered with the character. Yeah. Kind of. It was very strange. He, he wasn't full Goldust, was he? No. Well, he like, he changed it week to week. This is the most Goldust looking I think I've seen him from some of his skits and stuff. Yeah. But have you heard the story about apparently he was quite concerned with his position in the company and he asked Vince McMahon for a million dollars to get breast implants. What? Seriously? Because <laughs> you know, he does a lot of cross-dressing and stuff as this artist formerly known as Goldust thing. Yeah. So I guess it was the point of that. But... I know, but that's like, that's your body. Yeah. That's... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. This leads us in to main event number four. It's the evening gown match, pitting Luna Vachon against Sable. Uh, do you know why this was an evening gown match? I mean, I know the, the shoot reason for it is they want to see Sable with her clothes off. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what happens. In, in fact, uh-huh. I do. Oh, <laughs> It's at WrestleMania, they had a mixed tag and it stemmed from there. So they now having a singles match at Unforgiven. Mark Mero was jealous with all the attention that Sable was getting from the crowd and Goldust and Luna wanted to play on that and decided to go for the gown match because obviously if they had the nightgown match then Mark Merrill was not going to be happy with this. That's where it stemmed from. Right. There's a couple of notable signs in the crowd here for this match. One said skin to win. The other, thoroughly disgusting one in the front row, Sable, free tongue bath. Oh, wow. I didn't see that one. If you saw the guy holding it as well, he's got no chance no. of it. <laughs> no chance for tongue bath. No <laughs> chance. <laughs> yeah, so as you mentioned, JR says Mark Merrow is too humiliated to be a part of this match. And King is just insufferable. He's just like a happy dog that can't swallow. Just saliva everywhere. I want to see the dairy farm! Dairy farm? Who talks about women like this? It's rather cautious in the early going before Luna just 
rips Sable's skirt off yeah. out of nowhere. At this point, King becomes especially insufferable with <laughs> Look, just listening to him, he's very cringy. He must have been married at least four times in his life by this point. I'm pretty sure he knows what a woman's lower half looks like. Yeah. JR calls him out on it as well, frankly. He's like, you must be a lonely guy. <laughs> we then get a catfight spot, which draws Mark Miro out. He argues with Sable on the apron, distracting her, which allows Luna to strip the rest of her clothes off. To win at 2 minutes, 50 seconds. Immediately post-match, Sable gets her heat back with a really ropey-looking Sable bomb. Luna had to do so much of the work for herself there. Yeah. Like, literally, if she didn't flip herself, she would have landed on her neck. Mm. Scary. Yeah, Sable strips her clothes off as well. She follows her underneath the ring and strips her underwear off on top of that. JR says here, Well, she lost the match, but she don't look like no loser to me. No tan lines, too. <laughs> Jim! Like, yeah, that's right. Our woman sunbed naked. Eat that, WCW. Goldust retrieves Luna from underneath the ring and wraps her in her robe so she can escape. And Sable's all, come and get it! Come and get it! I love the, the whole caricature of it. You know, she's very so over the top. It's ridiculous. It's very like, come and get it! Come stick a dollar bill in my yeah. cheese <laughs> yeah. now. Kind of think, oh, this is useless. Mm. I, I mean, I don't know what to report on the match. There was no wrestling aspect to it. It was just a case of... No, we've got Sable. We just want to showcase her. That's pretty much the match. It was a different time back then. Yeah. Shoulder shrugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're roughly halfway through the pay-per-view at this point. So it's time for our half-time question time. For once, Kyle, I've got a question for you. Okay. Right. Well, I say I've got a question. This comes from James Parsons from a Facebook fan group I'm a part of for wrestling so imagine you're trying to explain a wrestler's character to someone by using analogies to pop culture or just explaining them in layman's terms how would you describe someone to a new fan so one of the examples from James was he said the new day are basically just tumble yeah (laughs) yeah okay so we'll start with the big show yeah okay to explain the big show to someone in layman's terms would be to say apocalypse you know he's he's this guy that's a monster sort of you know he's he's huge his hand is the size of your face you know it's going to take a lot for you to stop him essentially as us knowing wrestling that the big show is not as good as that but if you were to describe the features of the Big Show and if you wanted to create a top trump Big Show card yeah. it, you know the, they're the similarities that you've got there oh, that's appropriate with his longevity as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. another one would be say like a cruiserweight so we'll, we'll pick TJ just because yeah. he's champion he's essentially like Spider-Man you know the agility that he's got the flips that he can do Etc. Etc. He's he's a baby face. You know he's he's young, isn't he? There's the comparison with that. Yeah. Mega Man. Yeah. Is there any that that you can think? Well, sticking with the X Men thing, I thought Shane and Stephanie are kind of like Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Yeah. 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 
the like prodigal son speeding nicky guy doing crazy stuff if that's the case then does that mean that vince is magneto if vince was magneto who would professor x be austin <laughs> he's got the hair <laughs> <laughs> see in a way to be honest magneto and vince could kind of coexist mm. together because the brotherhood that Magneto had, mm. Vince had his corporation. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, could work. And uh, Kenny Omega, do you know him from Japanese wrestling? Yeah, yeah. I thought he, he just looks like a spot-on Metal Gear Solid villain. Yeah. Gallows and Anderson are a bit like Rito and Goldar from Power Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bumbling, can't win anything. Oh, dear. We return to Vince and the Stooges coming out to the ring. Once again, he promises something catastrophic is going to happen, but claims it's beneath his dignity to screw Austin over. However, let me say this about that. He won't accept responsibility for Stone Cold screwing Stone Cold. Please tell me you got Sable sat down with Kevin Kelly. Yes. <laughs> for the WWF Superstar Hotline. Yep. They I were miming, talking to each other. Yeah. I didn't realise this was open in the UK as well. Mm. Three pounds calls cost, apparently. They mentioned, oh, go and check out the Superstar line because The Rock and... might have been Ken Shamrock, alive at oh. the moment. It was The Rock and somebody else. Yeah. But they announced it during... It was either the first match. And it, well, it can't have been the first match. It was the second match. It's weird. Yeah. Because what would you do? Ring up, hey, Rocky, cool match. It's blatantly not them. It would be someone yeah. reading out an interview of what they claim to have said. Yeah. Weird how they take a pop at like Mean Gene Oakland for his hotline in yeah. WCW and then they're doing this. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear if anybody actually called the hotline actually. Yeah, please get in touch. Yeah. Our fifth main event of the evening is for the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championships. The New Age Outlaws, the pairing of Road Dog and Badass Billy Gunn, taking on LOD 2000, Road Warrior Hawk and Road Warrior Animal, accompanied by Sonny. LOD won a battle royal at WrestleMania? Yeah, to get a shot at the titles. They'd actually been feuding a bit beforehand, hadn't they? Yeah. I think, again, it was just... The feud essentially came about because the New Age Outlaws are obviously now members of DX or were becoming new members of DX because they started to go along the same path of we don't care. And I think it was pretty much down to that of that they kind of rubbed LOD the wrong way I think they like shaved one of the mohawks or something like hawks yeah. got shaved or something yeah but again you know it's just prying around and it's very much you can see why they went to DX you can see the plot lines of where they were going yeah. looking back well you mentioned they're prying around they claim they've got this North Carolina basketball coach coming out like, hey, we got Dean Smith with us out of time, and it's just a blow up doll. Yeah. Okay. It's more his local sports team sucks Jay, I was like, what? That's just a blow up doll. And, and King said, you recognised that right away, didn't you? <laughs> Road Dog says, they'll come out on top, and the old timers on the bottom. And no, that's not my sexual preference. That's okay. almost like. Um, I think it was King of the Ring after this. Triple H like claimed he was bisexual. 
I'm not too sure. It's like he was on commentary for something and something about talking in another language. You're like, are you bilingual, Triple H? Like, well, I'm, I'm by a lot of things, but I'm not bilingual, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> the New Age Outlaws run through their classic Tag Team Champions of the World stick. Billy Gunn has Mr. Ass on his tights already. Yeah. Before he's Mr. Ass. Yeah, before he's actually properly, yeah. Road Dog shines it up. Shines his arse up? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. He goes to the turnbuckle and, and Road Dog's pretty much, you know, just making sure everything's in place. Oh my god. And there's there's a, a part halfway through the match as well when Billy Gunn lies on his front and he's like this. And he props, oh, yeah. props his arse up. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Again, plot lines moving forward. Yeah. There's a pretty fast-paced start. And then Hawk hits a neat power slam on the Road Dog, which draws LOD chance. Road Dog sort of cows in the corner around Billy's crotch and gets his head head-butted into Billy's crotch. And the referee counted it as a tag. <laughs> Fantastic. What were we debating? You know, like when, what was it, that revival match? Like, you surely got a tag in by the upper half of her body. Right? Yeah. How can the referee count that? Again, we're, we're moving into the attitude area. Anything goes, because if you remember the the whole the holding the string, that's, oh, we still got the tag ropes, yeah. Yeah, well, that seemed to disappear, and then mysteriously came back when mm. people had to start abiding by the rules. Mm. When the Hardys, the Dudleys, and Edge and Christian, and that whole supersonic rivalry happened, you rarely ever saw them hold the tag rope unless they were being shouted at and it was normally Edge and Christian and they were going yeah we we got hold of it but other than that it was never apparent and never actually shown as something that needed to happen see I I vaguely remember this I think there was an article in WWF magazine hey remember the tag ropes they're coming back I'm like tag ropes I thought they were like a big massive long string of rope it's just a tiny little thread in reality yeah, Hawk massively botches a shoulder breaker on Billy and just has to put him down and yeah. start all over again. JR informs us LOD are absolutely bringing this match to a standstill to the extent that King is begging for replays of the evening gown match again. <laughs> Billy chat blocks Animal to prevent the Doomsday device from happening and the Outlaws take control of his leg, which is sound strategy, but is a bit boring. Billy hits his famouser which JR calls a rocker dropper. I think that was when he did his little arse pose. Yeah. His, yeah, his little model pose. Yeah, not bothered about covering it all and it only gets two because of that. It's a finisher! Although, it, again, a bit like The Rock, is it his finisher at the time? It's essentially the fame arser, isn't it, that's that's his finisher, whereas it's not the it's not that yet. Did you notice as well, he does a little royal wave before trying a power yeah. <laughs> And naturally he pays for it and it gets backdrop out of. And Hawk gets the hot tag. He springboards in to kick Road Dog in the face. It's quite unusual. And he hit a top rope splash. But the referee got distracted and Billy hit him with the tag title belt. But it only gets two when Road Dog covers. A pretty decent near fall. They try it again, but this time it's Billy that eats the championship. And Hawk Germans the Road Dog and gets a free. LOD celebrate in the ring with the championships, but then the referee whispers something into Howard Finkel's ear. And he's announced that the New Age Outlaws retain the championships. What? Apparently, it was a double pinfall, and Hawk's shoulders were down. 
at the same time as the roadies. But you could blatantly that, see yeah. from the main camera angle that was bullshit. Yeah. Hawk's right shoulder was up. They messed it up. Yeah. The referee gets quite rightly smashed with a clothesline yeah. and hit with the doomsday device, which gets another big pop. And he's stretched out here. And actually, to their credit, they show a replay. You see it from like the referee side of the ring, and he actually couldn't tell Hawk's right shoulder was up because he was seeing it from the left side. Yeah. But still, why would you make that call? You can't see everything, you know. Yeah. Poor positioning. Yeah, fuck that finish. The match ends in a draw, essentially, with the Outlaws retaining at 12 minutes, 13 seconds. Uh, anything on this match, Carl? Nothing really came out to say, oh, that certain thing was good. It was it was kind of a very average beginning-to-end match, but you can, like we've been saying, you can kind of see the beginnings of characters building up with Road Dog shining Billy Gunn's arse at the beginning. You know, you can see these character plot lines beginning to appear. I mean, I've never been a fan of the Legion of Doom, so they were all right. I'd just prefer to see Sonny. <laughs> really weird. She's kind of like on the downward turn here as well. They're going with Sable instead. Mm. I don't know. I personally prefer Sonny. I think Sable, a bit like China, not to China's extent, but she's very muscular, isn't she? Whereas Sonny is your girl next door. And I think that's the reason people liked Sonny. Because Sonny wasn't really experienced wrestling. Whereas China and Sable had that in the locker, so they were able to be used more. Whereas potentially Sunny had the better looks. I'd say yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, but yeah, she she only got into the business as a manager. Yeah, stuck with that. I mean, I think you noticed like when Sable came back in two thousand and three, she was in great shape, but she was like in great shape for the sake of being in great shape. She wasn't in shape to be in the ring, like. She was here, so it's yeah. kind of interesting seeing her at this point. Because her, her breasts are huge. Mm, funny you should notice that. How <laughs> <laughs> did you miss them? Yeah. Um, whereas, like, they looked sort of more proportional when she came back, so I wondered if... I mean, it could have just been the outfit, but yeah. still. Yeah, this match, uh, LOD were all right, but uh, it was really boring when the Outlaws were in control. Billy Gunn's stuff, that was actually quite good. Dusty finish at the end, just, no. No, no. Killed it. Don't worry, Kyle, because up next, we've got a little mini concert to perk up our spirits. <laughs> Howard Finkel introduces Tennessee Lee, and then he introduces the country band of the 90s. Sawyer Brown? Is that what they're called? Sawyer yeah, Brown? Sawyer Brown. Oh, never heard of him. They're backing up. The most versatile performer in all of the world today. J-E-double-F. J-A-double-R-E-double-T. Ain't I great? (laughs) I really don't remember Jeff Jarrett having this country music singer gimmick for so long. No. How it lasted for as long as it did is just... (sighs) All my memories of Jeff Jarrett are for... Silver pants, don't piss me off. Yeah. Silver the, guitar. The shaved head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The moment the fans see Jeff Jarrett, they chant, We want Flair. <laughs> he is just a knockoff Ric Flair. Yeah, watching this song, it looked like the 
actual singer was lip syncing as well. Because obviously Double J is. Yeah. That's his gimmick. Yeah. It's a sen- it's not a concert, is it? So oh, they, no. they could have... It would have made sense if they did, because isn't it supposed to be this bad band? Because if you're hanging out with Jeff, then you've got to be bad. I guess so. I mean, like the lead singer, his shirt he was wearing, yeah. he kind of looked like he belonged on Changing Rooms or something as one of the designers. <laughs> Jarrett's outfit was something else as well. Yeah. The little uh, mirrored vest thing. Jeff dedicates his performance to Tammy Wynette and rather harshly JR tells him, she can't hear you. <laughs> Jarrett can't hear you either, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Then out comes Steve Blackman. Random Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Filling time in his really, really 90s looking sneakers with the white soles and the black rest of them. He hits a bunch of karate kicks on Jarrett and puts him in some arm lock. Only for Tennessee Lee to hit him over the head with the guitar. And Double J gets the figure four leg lock, which draws even more We Want Fire chance. I think JR mentioned something here. Jarrett was the first person to beat Blackman in the WWF, which is why they've got beef with each other. Yeah. It just seems really random. Number one, Steve Blackman doesn't have a place yet. Like, later on, he gets, he's in the hardcore championship matches and, you know, he has his place and that's what he's good at. Yeah. His kendo sticks. And, but at the moment, it just seems like it's random Steve and he, he's just placed in these positions that just need a wrestler. Not necessarily they need Steve Blackman. It's just they need a wrestler. Meet in the room, so yeah. to speak. <laughs> JR says he was surprised by Jeff Jarrett's singing ability. You fucking mark. <laughs> Soon becomes clear why we had this concert because up next is the Inferno match. So they're blatantly rigging up the ring for the fire and stuff. Yeah. Jerry Lawler has wieners and marshmallows out. He's such an idiot. Like, he's not changed. He's an idiot now and he was an idiot then. Anyway, we then get another great video package of the rivalry with lots of Paul Bearer clips. I have to say, the video packages is one constant from then to now. They don't fail with video packages. Mm. They, they are shit hot with video packages. Like, sometimes the video packages can be better than the match. You know, the way that it's edited and the music fits with exactly what's going on. and It's a big thumbs up with the video packages. They really, really know how to put across a, a good story definitely there's a whole bunch of rivalries and stuff you can look at week to week and you're like oh well they flopped a bit there that didn't come off quite right but then you look at the video package pretty much like whoa this looks amazing yeah i can't wait for this match lots of stuff going on here so paul bearer dreamed of a ring of fire which i guess is why this match is happening and there's lots of flame related stuff going on as well kane if i was following this right he smashed up his parents gravestones and lit them on fire yeah and then there was a bit where like, they brought two coffins to the ring, and I think they were Undertaker's parents. Yeah. They lit one of them on fire and choked some Undertaker into the other. Yeah. Really kind of up the ante with this rivalry. Now. Made it very dark and very um, personal. Yeah. The end on the quote from The Undertaker. This will truly be the beginning of your 
eternal damnation. See, Taker's another good one that does not fail with the promo. Throughout his career, he just nails the promos. I mean, it takes him forever to get there. There's walk <laughs> and music and whatnot, but when he gets there, I mean, there, there, there will be no other, will there? No. Yeah, you kind of talked about before how this slightly more supernatural story didn't seem quite fit into what you were interested in in wrestling starting yeah. out. For the first time watching this, I was a bit like an Inferno match with wrestling. This is like weird. Why is the ring pretending to be hell? All this sort of stuff. But it kind of wins you over because, I don't know, Undertaker and Kane work really well together. And the story that they're trying to tell, if you take away the supernatural aspect of it, is a very good story. Yes, dark at times. Yes, there's a lot of death and parents and, you know, whatnot. But it is a good story. And then, you know, the supernatural and the superficial stuff comes afterwards, doesn't it? I mean, we, we like it now. Seeing Taker and Kane appear with lightning bolts and darkness and, you know, whatnot. It's good now, but back then... Just for me, you know, it's probably not for, for anybody else who was watching it. They might be, they might have loved that sort of stuff, but it took me a while to kind of think, right, okay. The concept of this match is it carries on until someone is lit on fire. So that's that's my point. It's like, it's not a wrestling match. No. This is a very kind of morbid concept. Yeah. So you, you wonder going in, what what's going to happen here? Nobody's actually going to be on fire surely this is main event number 6 of the evening the Inferno match Kane accompanied by Paul Bearer against The Undertaker at Kane's entrance there's a great bit where the camera's like stalking behind him and he does this lens flare thing mm. I've not seen that before again starting with the Attitude Era you, you see more and more of the camera angles mm. and they play up to that a lot more I think they use it as a TV programme more going forward with the Attitude Era and they use the camera angle tricks which they still use today you know watching NXT and watching Triple H and the the interviews that he does about what he does with the superstars and how essentially they could be the greatest wrestlers of all time but if they don't get the TV camera angles and they don't get to positions where they need to be it doesn't work mm-hmm. and I think the Attitude Era started that you know essentially it it is a TV programme before anything else, which it, which it is. It's kind of weird, like, seeing Smackdown nowadays are trying to differentiate it from Raw by essentially not having a hard camera. They have that, like, roving thing, yeah. like, head level in the ring. At times, though, it is nice to have a weird angle. But, again, that's another point of, is it truly a brand split? Is this rivalry real? Because, yeah, they play it up that the rivalry is real. And I know we're going off subject here, but Raw still have Brock Lesnar. Raw still has Goldberg on there. Raw has all these top acts on there. Raw is Raw. SmackDown is still... I know people will argue with me about this, but, like, yes, you've got Dean Ambrose. AJ Styles is probably your only top superstar on there. Because you can't count John Cena. Because John Mm. Cena is essentially the new rock coming and going when he needs to. Which is fine, you can do that, not a problem. But who's your top superstars on SmackDown? That was the kind of thing I was thinking about when I saw how they first split them. 
SmackDown seemed to have this very def- definitive glass ceiling to me, where mm. you have a bunch of your top guys, like AJ and Ambrose, Cena and Orton, and then the people directly underneath are kind of a little bit damaged goods, like they've been on again and off again with people getting behind them. So like Ziggler, Miz, at yeah. the time, Del Rio, Bray, those kind of people. So it still seems like it's very much Raw's top, SmackDown's second, even though they have this draft split and it's supposed to be, we are equal now. But they're not. Well, I mean, who's got the extra hour a week, you know? Yeah, exactly. Shane and Daniel tried to play it up by saying, well, we don't need Goldberg on our show because our ratings are good. But essentially, you would never have been offered Goldberg. So you you never had that option to refuse Goldberg anyway. Oh, but Kyle, they can bring in the headbangers. Or James Ellsworth. (laughs) Do you know what I I mean, though? It's like, but yeah, we were just going to have some together. Yeah. Apologies. Undertaker's coat here. Oh, it's amazing. It's like his WrestleMania one beforehand. Yeah, very nice. Kane's old mood lighting hits across the ring and we see the fire begin to circle around the apron. And JR's little, uh, this is amazing call that would get used to death on all of the Silver Vision VHSs. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing, amazing, amazing. <laughs> you TV guys always got the cameras where you don't belong. <laughs> In the very early goings, Undertaker's trying to do old school. I'm like, are you serious? How are you not stepping in the flames? What are you, what are you doing, you madman? Oh, but then he, he hit and it was fine. And the flames rise up as he hit the move as well. Which they do, again, just going off a little a little bit, uh, they do on the games, which is quite cool. Oh, do they? Yeah, so when, when you hit a move and you hit the mat, the flames come up. Wow. And the more intense the match gets, the more the flames come up. And you can you can only burn the superstar when the flames are at oh, the highest right. and the momentum is there. So you couldn't at the start of the match just Irish whip them and win the match. Yeah. You'd have to get the momentum high, hit enough moves for the flames to be there, and then you can. Oh right, I didn't so, realize it worked like yeah. that. Yeah. Pretty soon after that, Kane hits a power slam, and yeah, you see, obviously, every single spot just has some flames coming up. Paul Bearer throws in a chair. Kane hits The Undertaker with it. And he's controlling for a really long time without doing much in particular. Until finally The Undertaker fights back with a rushing leg sweep and a massive leg drop that Kane just sits up from. It's just so scary when Kane used to do this. Yeah. It must be so hard to do, like, stamina-wise. Yeah, because you're in a match that's taking your energy and to be able to do that all the time. Because Taker was the same, wasn't Mm. he? You know, to be able to just lift yourself. I know. I can imagine, in that match in particular, can you imagine how hot it is in that ring? Yeah. They both fight for choke slams, and only Kane hits his. But The Undertaker counters his tombstone with a choke slam of his own. And Kane still sits up. There's then a nice stereo big boot spot that sends both men down. We cut to Paul Bearer yelling in anguish, Kane! Kane! Did you catch when The Undertaker did his flying clothesline? And Kane ducked. Yeah. Oh, that's so scary. Undertaker nearly went in the flames. You, it is a, a sort of <gasps> moment. Yeah. Because maybe if he'd have landed wrong, not only would he have lost the match, but like that would have hurt. And like he's got long hair as well. Yeah. So all it takes is like one strand to go and something's going to catch. Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're pretty daring this match. There's lots of stuff around the ropes and like on the ropes as well. Yeah. Kane's climbing up for his clothesline off the top. And Undertaker cuts him off and superplexes him off. And then somehow Kane gets thrown out of the ring without getting burnt as well. Paul Berry gets the pyro operator next to him to keep raising the flames, to keep Taker in the ring so that Kane can run away. But who's this? It's Vader! He cuts off Kane before he can leave the arena. JR actually mentioned in the run-up to this, Vader got decimated by Kane. I think it was at the pay-per-view before WrestleMania. Yeah. Later on, they have a mask versus mask, Kane and Vader. Yeah. Vader loses his mask all the time. Yeah. So... Again, another pointless thing, but it, it, again, it's something that they're building towards. Yeah. Even me at the time knew, Kane's not going to lose his mask. No. They didn't up it enough to, for the viewers to feel like Kane actually might lose it. Far too early in the cycle of this yeah. character. So Vader kind of brings Kane back to the ring a bit closer, and then we have an absolutely outstanding tope dive by The Undertaker out onto both men over the flames. My God. Picture perfect. That's a thing of beauty. The Undertaker no-sells a chair shot from Paul Bearer and stalks him all the way to the sound stage where The Undertaker breaks a drum over his head, busts him open. He comes back to ringside and kicks away a chair attack from Kane and his sleeve catches on fire on the apron and he sprints backstage with his arm on fire. That wins the match for The Undertaker at 16 minutes. And he poses in the ring and it looks so cool with his lighting in the flames. Yeah. Any thoughts on this match? It looks very fake at the end. Yes. You, you could tell something was going on, so that's why The Undertaker chased Paul mm. Bearer away to the stage. So Kane's got this. It's kind of like a big sleeve he's put his arm in that's like fireproof. Yeah, because the, the way that he moves his arm when it's on fire, it doesn't seem natural. Well, naturally, if you're on fire, you, you know, you, you're moving all over the place and you yeah. want to quickly extinguish that as quick as possible. Kane literally zombie walks to the back. Uh, yeah. But that was the only odd bit of the match. Mm. You know, other than that, it, it was great. You know, it was a very strong match. Yeah, I thought the spectacle of this really, really helped it. I forgot about that spell where Kane is just in control and nothing's happening. But they did eventually get there in the end with the build and the high spots. That was the best match of the night so far. Yeah. Little side note for this match. Before WWF, Glenn Jacobs and The Undertaker, they fought each other. Oh, in um, Smoky Mountain Wrestling? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Which is quite cool. Because, obviously, at the time... I mean, now, you know, the, the way that they announce it, they do announce, oh, they have fought before... Perfect example is Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. You know, oh, yes, they yeah. kind of throw back to they grew up together, they fought together, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Whereas back in the day in the Attitude Era, it was WWF or nothing. Yes. You didn't slightly. do anything else. Yeah. But yeah, you know, of course people fought each other before WWF. It was nice to, to find out that they actually, you know, did fight each other. Even in the WWF as well. I'm pretty sure when he was Isaac Yankin, they might have had a match. The crazy dentist. The dentist yeah. guy, yeah, Jerry Lawler's dentist. Yeah, because Kane went through a whole bunch of, like, He was a fake diesel as well. Yeah. All right, it's time for the main event, main event. They hype it up with another video package. Austin became the champion at WrestleMania. 
Vince McMahon tries to sort of make him more corporate in a suit, but he's having none of that and strips off. This was also where we got the famous Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold match where Austin had his arm tied behind his back. Yeah. That never really officially got going because Dude Love interfered. Hit him with the mandible claw. This was interesting to me. Do you know what they called the mandible claw when he was Dude Love? The lovely claw. (laughs) You're surprisingly close. (laughs) It was called the love handle. (laughs) Why? (laughs) That's the kind of thing they should have done with like Rikishi or somebody. Like if it does an arse attack, like, oh, nice love handle. (laughs) So the episode, that Austin versus McMahon match happened, was the first time Raw beat Nitro in 84 weeks. Oh yeah, that was the thing. Austin and Dude Love were tag team champions together. They were, yeah. We never really brought that up. Well, I think it's because Dude, he wasn't a face or a heel, was he? He was. He followed his own path, and if mm. he got an opportunity, he went for it, whether it was being a goodie or a baddie. And I think that was his whole persona. Whereas Mankind was kind of... He was a fan favourite because he was weird as hell. And same with Cactus Jack. Mm. So Dude Love was kind of the split between the two. It's the least favourite of the three, for me, anyway. I'll go with that, yeah. It's very sort of odd. It's essentially the, the character that Mick Foley came up when he was growing up. I was like, oh, if I'm going to be a wrestler, I'm going to be this guy. Mm. Imagine the first idea you had for a wrestler when you know you were growing up watching wrestling. Imagine being that character as an adult. Not going to work, is it? It would be Triple H. (laughs) (laughs) Triple H on the brain. So, you know, it probably wouldn't have been Triple H, but it would have been someone who would have been against authority. Okay. Because growing up, that was what I was watching. Mm. And that was what I enjoyed. Austin saying, screw you to Vince. DX essentially telling Sergeant Slaughter to, you know, suck himself, kind of. That's what I... How is he He has no bottom ribs. Um, so, you know, growing up, that would have been my character because that's what I, I grew up with. I found a shirt one time. It has, like, some kind of flames on the sleeve. and like, oh, I could be the hardcore hot shot. Try really hard not to do a spit take there. I nearly spat water everywhere. <laughs> wow. Hardcore hot shot. Nice. Hardcore hot shot. Was it modelled on anyone? No, not not an actual wrestler, no. I'm guessing hardcore was was around at the time that you yeah, that was very much yeah. a sort of start. It was like the twenty four seven rule and stuff was in like that. Yeah, I think it's just as much the wordplay as well. That's cool. <laughs> anyway, it's time for our main event. Main event: the World Wrestling Federation Championship is on the line. Stone Cold Steve Austin defending against Dude Love. Dude Love, much like Cactus Jack, is announced as being from Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. There must be a story behind that or something. Maybe it's just a rib on the announcers. Like, oh, I'll give them a really long town name to announce. <laughs> this arena is filled with so many Austin signs. 
it just shows how big he, he was. You don't really get that anymore either, like where you've got a group of fans and they spell out something with a yeah. sign each. Yeah. The first time Austin goes in the corner for his pose, it's a monster pop. Dude Love starts the match with Pearl Harboring Austin. Austin has to stomp a mud hole in him to fight back. As JR references Bischoff telling him he wouldn't draw anything in black trunks and black boots. What a dummy. Unlike Kane, Austin controls this match with a pretty decent variety of brawling. He hits the Lufez Press, a Rough Rider, and he sprints down the aisle to clothesline Dude Love when he's like running away. They then do some spots around the bandstand. He throws Dude Love off it. Typical crazy man Foley bump. The amount of stuff that Mick Foley does, knowing how he is today and, and the stuff that he, he says about how much he injured himself, going back and watching, you can you can see exactly where he's hurt himself. Oh, yeah. It just The bumps are just... He does not care. King notices there's some fans with shaved heads in the crowd and he claims that they're bald-headed on the inside too. <laughs> Austin misses a second Rough Rider, which allows Dude to regain control of the match. And JR again is moaning at other organisations not giving Austin and Dude the credit they deserve. Vince McMahon arrives. He sort of makes eye contact with the timekeeper when Dude's got Austin in the chin lock. The minute Austin lays eyes on Vince, he flips him the double bird. Yeah. And then he gets rolled up for a near fall. There's another time that he pays for acknowledging Vince McMahon where he's about to do a pile driver, but he gets backdrop out of it. Dude hangs Stone Cold's throat on the top rope, countering a suplex to the outside. And Vince berates Austin to get back in the ring. Like, you're going to be a fighting champion, damn it! <laughs> Dude gets an abdominal stretch on, and Vince is frantically like, okay, get ready, get ready, ring the bell! And then Austin reverses, he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the overarching story of this match is, are we going to get another Survivor Series 1997? Yeah. I didn't realise there were this sort of on the nose capitalising on the Montreal screw job. Yeah, I think Vince saw it as a moneymaker. Because we all know Vince pushes boundaries, a mm. lot of boundaries. I mean, we, we know some of the storylines that he's wanted to tell, but has never been able to tell, luckily. He just gets away with it. Nothing's actually going to happen with Austin and Dude. They are WWF superstars. They will be WWF superstars the day after. Yeah. It, so it's there isn't as much on the line. So maybe that's how he gets away with it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he sensed that was the way things were going. He got all of this heat on him from yeah. what he did to Brett. But yeah, I didn't realize this soon. I like, yeah, let's do the exact same thing again. How many times did it get wheeled out? At least once a year. Yeah. Oh, somebody tapped out, but they didn't tap out. Oh, oh my God. Austin suplexed dude's legs into the steel steps. Yeah. That's another one where, like you're saying, you look at the stuff Foley is doing in the match, the abuse he's taking, and you're like, oh, wow, is, is this really worth it? Dude accidentally clobbers the referee, but he's able to counter the stunner and hit the love handle... And Vince McMahon is desperately trying to revive the referee to no avail. And then he winds up fighting with Stone Cold over a steel chair, trying to get control of it. A dude tries to use it on Austin, but it gets knocked back into his face. So Vince goes to help dude love up, 
but Austin wallops him with the chair in the head to a massive reaction. He then gets dude back inside the ring, hits the stunner and counts his own pinfall and his music plays after. You need a licence to be yeah. an official <laughs> in the WWF, mate. Come on. Austin just celebrates, bogs off, leaves, makes Matt Yate and give him the championship belt and we see there's a stretcher arriving for the instrument man. Did you catch Pat Patterson talking to people? No. And he's like, oh, strip him of the title. We need to be rid of him. And then, Pantomime villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Jerry Briscoe talks to Howard Finkel, who announces that Stone Cold was disqualified for hitting a WWF official. He hit Vince. He didn't hit the official. Dude love hit the official. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah dude love won by DQ. In 18 minutes, 49 seconds, Austin still retained the championship vote. Yeah, another sort of storyline non-finish kind yeah. of thing. But still the best match of the night for me. Yeah. I thought Austin and Mick had some pretty good chemistry. Kept things interesting even when they were just brawling with each other. What did you think of it? Yeah, I think at the time, Austin and, and Mick couldn't really go wrong from a wrestling stance because they were considered as the top guys whether he was you know Dude Love Mankind or Cactus Jack and Austin was just Austin Austin was on fire and yeah I like the, the matches that, that they have for me it's just that I don't like the Dude Love character that's all I wonder without the overhanging stuff from Vince whether you'd really buy into Dude being a challenger yeah you know? Yeah, because it was very much Vince's push, character-wise, that got Dude Love where he was. Yeah. And, yeah, I agree. I think maybe if it was Cactus Jack, we wouldn't maybe have seen as much Vince. Mm. Because Cactus Jack sells himself. But then, do you really see a heel Cactus Jack? So then it would be face against face. And at the time of the Attitude Era, you never got that. It was always... You have one face, you have one heel. It was very simple. Whereas nowadays, you could have face versus face. And it'd be, you know, it'd still be a really good match. It's a lot more common. Especially with seeing of the way he is, where he's a baby face who gets booed. Yeah. The Undertaker was really Stone Cold's next big opponent. But that was done as a way to kind of turn the Undertaker heel and down the whole ministry yeah. stuff. It's a kind of like, tune in, see what's going on on the next show kind of ending to it. It was a cliffhanger. I mean, I don't like cliffhangers on pay-per-views because I feel that you need a definitive ending and that's the idea behind a pay-per-view. Yeah. I get if characters are coming back, returning, or it's a new character that comes out and then it ends as a cliffhanger. I get that because it's a way of saying, right, this guy's here. But for there not to be a return or a new thing happening and for it to peter out it's just not a good ending yeah it needed something a bit more self-contained really because like a perfect example is when the shield first came yeah and it was like who are these guys and mm. then it, it just cut off and you were like what that's the kind of ending you want if it's going to end with controversy whereas the way that this match ended it wasn't your kind of usual way that you would want it to but then again, back then, you didn't have the clever fans that you have now. Because I think they've got to think about the f- what we think about. Yeah. 
they were far more casual fans. Like they, they, they weren't necessarily the people who were the majority of your ticket buying audience. Yeah. Whereas now, like the, the kind of towns they run sort of prolifically, like you know, in the New York area and Philadelphia and all places like that. There's a lot of smart fans. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are a bit wiser to the way the business works. Yeah. So, yeah. so that wraps up the show. Final thoughts in general. What was your favourite match of the night? Who was your standout performer? <laughs> my favourite match of the night is the main event I think this is around the time that I, I quite got what Vince was doing I could kind of see this evil genius sort of thing coming out I enjoyed the the aspects of the weapons the chairs that was good and like looking back when I've rewatched it, it it is a good match you know yeah. it, there's a lot of manoeuvres in there that you kind of think, you know, it, it worked and it, the match flowed. It wasn't awkward like in the Nations match with Farouk and the Targan. So you could tell the difference between the up-and-comers. I mean, Farouk's not an up-and-comer, but compared to Austin and Mick, mm. you know, there is, there's a huge difference. But yeah, stand-up performer, obviously, you know, the leader of Degeneration X, <laughs> still the European champion. Triple H! Are you ready? Yeah. Match night for me was the main event again. I think it slips under the radar a bit because they go on to really, really surpass this for next month at Over the Edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All time classic, especially in terms of the overbooking and stuff. All the Stooges and yeah. things like that. The show in general, I kind of get what you're saying about the characters being the main focus here because wasn't a lot of outstanding matches for me. I really enjoyed the Inferno match and had a great deal of fun watching the European title match as well. But other than that, in terms of in-ring action, there's very little you'd probably go out of your way to want to watch. It's still a very intriguing watch, seeing the sort of like prototypes of some of these characters and the way the characters behave, like with Billy Gunn, like you were saying, and yeah. The Rock using the people's elbow and it's not the people's elbow. That yeah. kind of thing. If you're in a hurry, go watch the European title match, the Inferno match in the main event. If you just want a bit of background viewing, there's a lot here. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of setup. If you want to yeah. see where characters maybe began, the, you know, you, you can see quite a lot, especially the New Age Outlaws. You can see where they they started to become the tag team that you know became as popular as what they did. So, going back to how you remembered things at the time as opposed to watching it again now was there anybody that was a really bit of a disappointment for you was there anybody that was a really nice pleasant surprise compared to how you remembered things growing up I think the disappointment was the rock if I'm honest mm. going back watching it and thinking you know how rusty he was I mean you know everyone's got to start somewhere but just because I, knowing The Rock and who The Rock was, going back watching his older matches, you kind of go, whoa. I mean, it's the same for Triple H, though. You know, going back and watching some of his matches, you're like, that's not the Triple H I know. Going back and watching, the, the person that kind of stood out for me would have been Kane, really, because yeah. I've always found Kane, he's kind of always been boxed off in the ring. Similar to The Big Show, in, in a way, in that they've only got a certain set of moves... And the other superstar, Kane, works around. 
you kind of that's how the match flows. Whereas the Inferno match, you know, actually, it was the Undertaker that that was the one that didn't really do much, and Kane worked around that. You know, watching it back, and so I think for me, watching it again more recently, the Kane's the the big one that I was like, actually, do you know what? I really enjoyed you know watching Kane and watching the stuff that he did. Yeah. Okay, that will wrap it up for this episode. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. We just recently reached the 500 follower mark. Yeah, please, please, please pay attention to that uh, for news of the next episode. It'll be coming at some point. Yeah. We're looking at the first pay-per-view to happen after I got into wrestling. And we're on the opposite side of the fence, so to speak. Yeah. In the world of WCW wrestling, which should be interesting. If you have any questions that you want us to speak about halfway through the pay per view, just tweet us, message us on Facebook, you know, we'll bring you questions up on the show. Definitely. The easiest place to find our show is on the SoundCloud page at TNW Podcast again. There's a playlist of all of our episodes so far. You can also catch on our time stream my little guest appearances on the Royce Nitro podcast. Our good friend Lee's been very kind to us and that was a great deal of fun as well. Go check out his podcast as well. It's very, very good. And we're also on Stitcher Radio and iTunes. So please subscribe, like, review. Send us your love if you have love. If you don't have love, well, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you have a black heart. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll round everything up for this episode. It's a goodbye from Kyle. Goodbye, everyone. It's a goodbye from me. See ya.